Coming up, we'll talk about how attractions are trying to mitigate the rush of the upcoming summer season. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is our weekly episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. In Green Tagged, we break down the top theme park news from each week and tell you why it's important. Coming up on this episode, we'll talk about Disney's new Q-less experience, the financial recovery of SeaWorld and Cedar Fair, staffing challenges, and performer safety. Don't forget that you can browse our catalog of over 700 episodes covering everything in the industry on our website. The link is in the show notes. While you're there, sign up for our free weekly industry newsletter. Okay, here's Green Tagged. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, Florida, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm your co-host, Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson. Hi, everybody. Well... The new magic bands are coming, Scott, here in summer. Walt Disney World Resort announced officially that their new Magic Band Plus will come out this summer. And it will not only continue the features that the old Magic Band has, but it will also unlock new interactive experiences, including Star Wars Batu Bounty Hunters in Galaxy Edge. Now, the article we're going to link to is courtesy of Attractions Magazine. They have a kind of a good outline of the different things but basically there's the disney fab 50 quest which is a scavenger hunt throughout the walt disney world theme parks and it uses the magic band plus to interact with the golden character sculptures which is really funny because i'm like oh that's what they're for um the, the, the play to see parks app will offer hints and keep track of the sculptures found which unlock digital achievements using an augmented reality feature and then there's the the second thing that they uh, that's part of this uh, launch is the Batu Bounty Hunters. And the copy here says, guests can join Batu's Bounty Hunters Guild in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disney's Hollywood Studios and use their Magic Band Plus to find virtual bounties hidden throughout Black Spire Outpost. The band's light patterns and haptics will guide guests to complete their mission. Then they can return to local Guildmaster to be rewarded with galactic credits. Guests can also use the Play Disney Parks mobile apps built-in augmented reality thermal viewer to reveal their virtual bounty. There's also some like glow with the show element <laughs> for nighttime spectacular. So, uh, wow, increased functionality. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Um, so, <clears throat> this is we've we've and we've had this discussion before about having to to pretty much plan your entire life when you go to Disney it's it's a lot more work than it used to be um and this is i think uh, another step in that direction but i also think this added functionality is a unique way to um sort of sidestep it i guess sidestep the negatives um in other words what in my opinion what it's doing is it's creating um attractions that don't have queues so instead of waiting in line to to see um one of the the key attractions. It used to be that, you know, you'd spend your time walking around Magic Kingdom, for example, and um, you didn't mind not going into every single ride every single day because you got to see the characters or you got to see the parade or you got to see this. This is the high tech version of that. This is creating um, a, in essence, a virtual attraction that doesn't take place in one location. It takes place around the entire property or mm -hmm. the entire areas of property. Um, obviously, Galaxy's Edge is within Galaxy's Edge, but it makes Galaxy's Edge as a whole an interactive guest experience. So if you're unable to reserve your time, you know, you don't get up at 4.30 in the morning and reserve your time on a Saturday to, to do one of, the, one of the actual rides, you can still get something 
out of Galaxy's Edge if you have a Magic Band Plus. Yeah. So it's it's another it's another one of those steps it's in the, the velvet, velvet rope, rope that yeah. we've talked about. Um, it's another level of engagement, um, and it's a level of engagement that, again, is going back to the old days of selling the tickets. You know, it's it, this is your this is like your C ticket. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. this is this is the C ticket attraction where you can get to experience a bunch of galaxy's edge. And there are people out there who may absolutely love this. I can see that, you know, families with the right age children would just have a blast. Okay. Who am I kidding? I can see, I can see star Wars fanatics who would just, who are my age, who would have an absolute blast running around watching their wrist blink. So, I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's cool. And the, and the, the digital stuff, you know, all of the rewards have zero cost once they're mm -hmm. zero cost of goods. There's obviously cost of development, but um, zero cost of goods. So they're all digital, virtual. We've heard that we heard those phrases multiple times in what you just read. Um, so I, I think it's clever. Uh, and I think I think it's a distraction so that people don't have to recognize, wow, I, I went to Disney and I didn't get to ride all the things that I wanted to ride. Um, yeah. But I did watch my wrist blink. So, you yeah. know, uh, and, and again, I'm being overly simplistic and a little bit glib, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm getting less and less interested in in the Disney properties, and maybe it's my age. I will completely admit that. Um, I don't have small children. I don't have grandchildren. Um, I don't have any children, and uh, so that may be that may be part of it. Um, I am a huge supporter of the Disney brand, or I have been throughout my life. I've always enjoyed it and had a great time, and especially the the IPs that they have purchased over the years. Those are also interesting to me. But it is becoming, for me, far too much work and far too nickel and diming to actually enjoy the parks and experience them as a guest. That's I know that's an unpopular opinion. I know that doesn't embrace the, the technology moving forward. Um, that said, I do credit them for, at the very least, trying to find ways to make entire realms or even entire parks um, an attraction. I just wish it had more of the magic that I expect from Disney and not just um, the, the magic band plus uh, flashing light patterns. That's, yeah. that's my own, that's my own take on it. So I don't think it's a bad thing if that's what you enjoy. I'm just saying it's, it's not, it's not the wonder that I used to experience at Disney parks when I, when I used to go on a regular yeah. basis. I understand why it's there. I just don't. It's just not for me. It a lot of valid points there. I think I agree. I agree and disagree in some places. I agree that I think it's going to come down to execution. Mm -hmm. This is very vague, and I, I don't. I'm not sure if they meant to. Uh, I think this got leaked. Is what it was. Uh, basically, you know that some of them got put out on the shelf by accident, apparently, and then they like went and took them back and. And so, yeah, by accident. By exactly. accident in quotes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. I don't know. But I think it comes down to the execution and what the execution will be like. And honestly, this is literally, this technology is exactly what we had developed at, at Gantam, which we received the Thea for, which is mm -hmm. Torch technology. Mm -hmm. And um, our sister company, ZTag, has made this exact thing. It's a wearable. It lights up. It does all that kind of stuff. But... It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, 
I really don't know because the, the magic bands were a big investment, but they kind of were a failure because ultimately your cell phone can do everything the magic band can do. So you mm -hmm. don't really need it. And I'm afraid, depending on the execution, this might fall into that same category. You know, the reason, uh, and the reason we have insight into this is because we literally, uh, you know, our sister company, ZTag, we, that's what they make. They make a wearable that lights up. You can go around um, and play different game modes with it and it has a proximity sensor in it and all that you can keep score it does all these same things interacts with the environment it has a receiver and a transmitter so the reason though that it needed to be a wearable in that case is because you're interacting with other guests there's guests on guest interaction and like that makes it difficult if you're holding up your phone Correct. and you're trying to chase each other around with your phone out it's like it's like running around with scissors, right? That's not a good thing. So it, it, this, it makes you more able to run around and interact with other guests in a tag setting. So I don't know why this magic band is needed right now. Like reading just based on what they're saying, I'm like, this could have been done with your cell phone and it could be an extension on the Parks app. I don't know why we need the extra magic band other than they want to, basically they're like, if we, if we add a tiny band. bit, yes, correct. Some more magic bands. Like if, if they basically they're like, if we add a tiny bit of functionality, like a very tiny uptick in functionality. Now, to, to be fair with them, ha again, having insight into making this and how much they cost, it is going to cost significantly more for these magic bands because they have to have the LED and the 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 display screen and the light up stuff, and they have to have that uh, transmitter. So it definitely is going to cost more, significantly more, but they're going to charge you, I'm sure, significantly more because of that. You know, it's it's going to be probably a wand, wand price point or a little bit lower than that. And so it should make up for it. So I'm, I'm guess I don't know. What I would like to see, because our original pitch was always where what you want to do is, is use this to create a better story experience, mm -hmm. not just an ancillary like scavenger hunt. Mm -hmm. So again, depends on execution. Like what I would like to see which I think would be possible with this, is that they go and you join the guild there in Batu, and you when you earn enough guild credits, you know your status as a guild member is displayed here. So you rank up to being a better a better adventurer, basically mm -hmm. like a better bounty hunter. And then there are passageways or areas that only high status bounty hunters can get into. That is what this needs to be. Like this needs, they need to, that, and that gives you a reason to be wearing this wristband to have it displaying your status so that well, people can see it and then you can get into an area that you can't normally access. And it's possible that that may be down the road too. That's what I mean, execution. Um, but but my concern there is um, with, and it's going back, I'm, I'm agreeing with you 100% here, it goes back to execution. It, it, this does not sound, first of all, this does not sound like that's what they're doing. So that's I know. where they are. Um, I also think they're having to use, they're trying to find that balance. And, and, and this is a challenge. They're trying to find that balance between the tech and the guests exception, uh, acceptance of the tech. Mm -hmm. And, and I know, and, and again, because you and I have talked and, and, and I've, I've, I'm very familiar with ZTag and, and it's, you know, it's pluses and minuses. And it's one of the challenges that ZTag has had to overcome as well. And yeah. the, But the difference is, as you said, ZTag is interactive between humans. Yes. Um, this is yes. interactive between um, experiences. 
So mm-hmm. it's it's one technology. That's the that's the best the best issue. And and you and you ran into. I'm sorry, I don't mean to tell tales out of school, but you ran into the same thing with Gandam Torch. Gandam Torch yep. was how do we know that it's the torch that's actually making this happen? Yes. Could it not just be a proximity sensor? Could it not just be? You know, there were other ways to make this happen. So I, I, just like just like the Magic Band, could it be a cell phone? Could it yep. just as easily be a cell phone? Yep. Um, and, and the answer is yes. <laughs> and the answer is yes. Um, but you're not going to sell somebody a brand new cell phone when they when they come to the parks. You do have to sell them a magic band. So yeah. uh, I, I get it. I understand it. I Like I said, the reason it turns me off is I feel nickel and dimed. Um, yeah. But at the I same agree. time, I also applaud them for trying to at least explore options of experiences that are outside of the queues that you may or may not be able to get into depending on how early you make your reservation or how long you want to stand in the uh, standby line. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll continue watching this of course, and we'll see what they develop. Um, I'm just hoping that they'll use it as a way to denote status and get, I mean, because even now uh, at Disneyland, there are specific areas that are only accessible to magic key holders Mm-hmm. usually during food festivals. And I like those areas because there's less people in them when you're trying to find a place, a table to eat, you know, for the food tasting. And you have, they they send you a magic key pin. And so they still need to scan your thing, you know, to make sure that you have a valid pass, right? Mm-hmm. But the cast members there, if they see you wearing the pin, you know, they'll, they'll be like, oh, welcome back. Let me like scan. I mean, they'll, again, it's that human-to-human interaction. They, they, right. they see that you're... They'll help to facilitate the situation. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think... Um, if if this could be rolled into that, it, it would it would it would uh, change my opinion. But anyway, okay, let's move yeah. on. <laughs> okay, so I have uh, we have uh, three stories we're going to tie together now, and these are kind of quick updates on earnings and hiring. So the first is from SeaWorld Entertainment, and they reviewed their uh, Q1 results. They reported 271 million in revenue during the first quarter of 2022. That's an increase of 99 million during the same period in 2021. They also, you know, as we've been talking about, they release all these new plans, um, and they they're looking at uh, welcoming 3.4 million guests during that quarter, which is which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to highlight here that that is still a loss of nine million. <laughs> yeah, it, now, it is the smallest net loss, but it's still a loss. So it's it's the it's the best of the worst they've yes. had. You know. Um, and again, I think this is great news. I, I, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you know they're they're getting this money back. The revenue is is skyrocketing. But anytime I read a report that just talks about revenue and not profit, yeah. um, I, I start to raise eyebrows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I start to raise eyebrows because it's like to me you're blowing smoke here, um, and we actually were able to to get to this point by by glomming together two two different articles, yeah. um, to kind of come up with a bit more a bit more truth. Now. I'm not trying to be negative towards SeaWorld or any of the companies that we're going to talk about here, but I just want people to recognize um, theme parks are still hurting. There, well, some theme parks are still hurting. Some theme parks are still hurting, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, some attractions are still hurt. And with and with the ones that aren't, who knows whether they really are or not? We don't really know that either. But based on on what we're seeing here, they're they're coming back. These are great great strides, but they're still. I mean, if you look at it, if you are a small attractions owner and you have gone a you know a long time losing money, mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if you're still open. So these these major parks 
um, are still in that in that position. Um, so I, I think it's just important to recognize, yes, there are plans. Yes, they are coming back. Yes, they're coming back quicker than they actually had originally projected, which is wonderful. But I, I just I just want to put it in perspective. That's all. I want to make sure that we're not looking at this going, wow, they made $271 million in the first quarter. They, they got to be rolling the dough. But that was still $9 million shy. So I just want to make sure that we all understand where these these numbers are coming from and what they actually mean, um, and and obviously business is not gonna is not gonna flip back like a light switch. We've said that over and over again, and uh, and I and I'm not trying to be negative. This is not Scott dissing the 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 companies that we're talking about or the numbers. I just want to make sure that we're viewing them uh, in a in a realistic setting, and that we all understand kind of what they mean. Yes, and Cedar Fair is in the same boat where they they still lost money, but not as much money. They generated $99 million in net revenue in the first quarter, and that was their highest first quarter attendance for the company since 2013, which is bonkers. Um, <laughs> so, and uh, even despite all of that, uh, despite all of that, uh, they still sustained a net loss of $88.5 million for the first quarter. Um, it's an improvement over the same period in 2021 um, where their net losses were $110 million. Uh, so m a much slower recovery uh, for Cedar Fair, it seems mm -hmm. like, uh, proportionally. But uh, what what both of these stories, all three of these, are going to show us is that demand, as we have been saying, is coming back. It's proving in the numbers, even in Q1. And, and just remember, Q1 is usually the slow Q. It's mm -hmm. usually the slowest quarter mm -hmm. because everybody is recovering <laughs> from the holidays and no one's going out. And we had we still had you know pandemic stuff going on. If we, we push our, our brains back, to, to January, you know, there was, so basically there were still concerns. And despite the concerns and despite the slowest quarter, we've had this much of an expansion. All that is positive. Uh, the last story here is that Universal is hiring 5,000 jobs. And just as a note here, in February, they announced it was 2,500. So now it is 5,000. So they definitely have doubled the amount that they are looking for for summer. And their starting wage is 15 an hour for some of them, but for culinary jobs, they have raised that to $16.50 to $20 an hour, depending on the position for culinary. So, so basically, everything is 15 but there are certain positions, some of them are including culinary, certain positions that they are raising to 16 $16.5 up to 20 for some of those. And they're looking at 5000 Those are takeaways. So that's a lot. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And anybody who is working in the industry is laughing at that because you can offer all these jobs that you want. The challenge is filling them. You know, um, I, I, so I, I've got clients all over the United States right now and there's not a single client. This is the only thing I have ever been able to say across the board. There is not a single client who feels comfortable with their staffing and, and their staffing level getting staffed up for the summer season. There is not a single client I have that feels comfortable that they are going to be able to get the numbers they feel that they need for this huge rush, like we've just talked about, of people returning to theme parks. So, again, this is great for Universal Orlando. But keep in mind, they're also competing with SeaWorld that we just talked about. They're competing with Disney that we just talked about. Um, they're competing with, you know, wet and wild. They're competing with International Drive. They're competing with the convention center. They're competing with every restaurant on Restaurant Row in Orlando yeah. um, for these bodies. And so um, 
I'm I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that 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 there's this much work out there. Um, the challenge is going to be getting people to actually take the jobs, and you know this is something that that I know Philip and I have have talked about many 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 times in the past. Um, I love seeing these numbers. I think these are are you know getting to be fair wage numbers, um, but again, it's now become commonplace in Orlando to see these numbers. So what are you going to do for your employees that is going to make it more? What is going to make it so they want to come be with you? What is going to make it so that they want to stay with you so you don't just train them, they get their comp tickets, they go to the park a few times, and then they quit? Not that that would ever happen, of course, <laughs> but that's gone on forever, and it's even more prevalent prevalent now um, in the, the world of post-pandemic. So I just sound like such a downer today. I'm so sorry, but but it's it's the reality of the situation. You know, I I'm I'm glad if you want if you want a job and if you want to work in a theme park, come to Orlando for the summer. You know, if you're listening uh, around yeah. the country, come to Orlando for the summer. I would guess that if you're anywhere near a theme park, you're going to run into something very similar in your own neighborhood. Um, but you know, there there are jobs there. There are there is work to be had, and it's you know. It's not, it's not eleven dollars an hour. Um, it's fifteen to twenty, and um, I will say that part of the reason culinary, and this is just based on my own experience, part of the reason that the culinary numbers are higher, is culinary is notoriously difficult to keep staffed in attractions yeah. because yeah. it is not an easy gig, and no. it's and it, and it operates very differently from restaurants. So you can't even get people who have who have culinary experience. Because restaurants are actually simpler to work in. They're easier to work in yeah. than a theme park um, culinary place. Uh, yeah. What I, I want to just put in a, a little bit of my perspective on that. Um, they are very difficult jobs. Um, I have worked in, in, in all of these uh, areas before when I was younger. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I have the energy to do it now. I feel like I, I, think I could manage it because it's very demanding. But also, <laughs> just keep in mind um, those attractions that are listening that maybe if you think that this is high uh, for a culinary role, you are not paying enough for your culinary role. And that's because F&B and merch are big profitability centers mm -hmm. for your attraction. And really, if you, if you, we've talked about this a lot, but just to drive this point home, you make a themed food experience and then you have people there serving it. And that themed, you know, if, if they're, selling a 12 to 15 to 20 dollar item or whatever every like few minutes it's definitely worth their the the, the cost of of paying them uh competitive enough to keep that area staffed so i just i want to highlight that but <laughs> yeah but, restaurants don't make money if they're not open yeah yes correct um and 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 restaurants in parks are are um particularly profitable because your a lot of the infrastructure is already there the people are already there um, you, you have the infrastructure in place, so um, and you're hard. charging premium prices. Correct. You know, you're yes. already charging. You're, you're, or you're not restaurant quality food, and and no no need to like serve them and all that. So it's 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 a, it's a good. Combination. You're selling the eight dollar can of Coke. I mean, yeah. you know, um, and people line up for it. So yep, uh, yep. So and I will say, you know, and I will say that it, on paper, um, and this only comes from my experience and as well as my observations since I left, uh, being part of the the uh, management team in a theme park um 
on paper, quite often, it will look as though, well, if we don't open this snack shop and we don't open this snack shop and we drive everybody to this main restaurant, then um, we'll still make the same amount of money with less labor. That is not true. Um, There are situations where, and I've seen it happen, I've actually seen it happen this season already with some of my clients. Um, The line gets too long and I will watch guests say, okay, we'll just eat at home. So you are losing money. Um, it's, you have to recognize, and there is of course a balance. There is of course a balance here and, and I don't have the actual magic number, but once again, a restaurant cannot earn money if it's not open. So, um, to, to reinforce Philip's point, it's worth the 15 to $20 an hour to you, not to them, to you to get those bodies there and to, to sell the $8 Cokes. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one last thing we need to move on, but one last thing too, time perceived time in line will discourage those purchases. So yep. just keep that in mind. You were losing money if the line is too long. So just yep. keep that in mind. Okay. Our, our last uh, smaller topic here to close out the show um, is about when you're, when you do hire all these people and you get your team in to meet this demand, uh, what are you going to do to combat some of their concerns? One of their big concerns is going to be violence against the performers and against your staff members. And we have, uh, this is a topic that Scott did a podcast on, so I'll let him introduce it. Well, I mean, we're living in a world now where um, millions of people have watched people of power and respect go after each other and basically commit a crime, the crime of assault, and get away with it. Um, And I'm not just talking about the Academy Awards. This is happening. It's becoming more prevalent. Mm -hmm. And so I think people are starting to feel either empowered that if they disagree with somebody or they just don't like them or they've had to wait in queue line for too long, they can react physically. Um, I, I so hope, and I, this is the way I I will uh, spoiler alert. Um, I finished my podcast by saying, I hope that everything we just talked about is completely unnecessary, but I would rather have these discussions uh, now and help prepare so that fewer and fewer people get hurt. Um, I think there's a I think there's a monkey see monkey do mentality out there that you know these people have seen. Well, it's okay for someone to walk up and slap somebody else across the face with plenty of 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 witnesses, and nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen, um, or nothing's going to happen immediately. You know, um, so I, I just think it is important to recognize that this trend could become something that is going to impact um, that is going to impact attractions. And Philip, I know you did some reporting on the halfway to Halloween, uh, com- the companies that opened up their attractions, their Halloween attractions for halfway to Halloween. And Halloween, by the way, when it comes to violence against performers and employees is significantly higher on the list. You're putting yeah. people into the dark, you're raising their anticipation, you're feeding them alcohol, and then you're scaring them. So it's always been an issue with Halloween. I'm just concerned that it's now going to trickle over into uh, other forms of, I mean, we've seen we've seen it on airplanes. You know, I, yeah. I've, I've seen those reels. Um, we've seen it on airplanes, and I think we're going to start seeing it in attractions. So I think we just need to continue to pr- prepare our folks. But you had to actually had some stats, some data um, that you got from, from your reporting on Halfway to Halloween, right? It's something that I would call actual data. What I got was examples of this kind of picking up. And I, to walk it back a little bit, uh, you know, 
even since last year, when I was doing reporting, we would contact the attractions, check in with them and see how their seasons were going. Even since last year and up through November when haunts were open and I was reporting with them, the one of the main three themes that I heard was increased violence. And that increased violence against our performers and increased all sorts of, even if it wasn't physical violence, but just attitude and a lot of talk back, a lot of verbal abuse to their performers and their team members. And just, um, and, and we saw this, uh, we know we saw like six shootings last year for people that were at attractions. And most of them were just be- people that were in line, just while they were waiting in line. Uh, their stabbings, you know, all those kind of things increasing in the lines. And uh, even to the point where we saw, of course, lest us forget that Six Flags last year had to close two of their parks uh, early and institute a new early closure for their Halloween events because of the violence that would happen in the parking lots and in the round there. And they had to institute a clear bag only or no bag policies. And we even saw smaller attractions instituting those clear bag policies just to prevent people from bringing stuff in. But even the smaller attractions that didn't have those issues that I talked to like Rain of Terror here locally, you know, that was his biggest takeaway from the season is that people were didn't know how to be around other people anymore. Verbal abuse, violence, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's exactly, and that you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, that was that's the the challenge. We've had two years of mm-hmm. uh, we've had we've lost two years in our experience in social interaction. So mm-hmm. since we've lost those two years, you know, we can we can you can you can like in a Zoom meeting, you can mute yourself and turn your camera off and just. Yeah chew somebody out if they piss you off now that we're back in people's faces we're back in 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 real life um that's becoming violence that's becoming attitude as you pointed out that's becoming threats of violence whether it even manifests itself with making actual physical contact and and that's assault so so i guess really quickly i think the most important thing you can do is make sure that when you hire these new people make sure that they are trained how to handle and de-escalate these kinds of situations um you know as we all yeah. know one big and especially since we just came off the staffing discussion one of the 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 easiest ways to lose future staffing or even lose current employees is to have a, an unnecessary act of violence against uh, somebody one of their coworkers yeah. so and the moment this gets publicized it makes it harder and harder to get new people to replace them so have these discussions with your hr team find the right training uh, for your staff to de-escalate these situations and Again, I hope, I hope that there is absolutely zero need for this kind of pre-planning. I hope that we are, this is one of the few times I will say, I hope we are completely wrong, but I don't think we are. And Mm -hmm. I would rather us go through, I would rather you as attraction owners and attraction professionals go through this exercise of asking the questions, how can we protect our staff? How can we train them to de-escalate situations so that you don't have to worry about it if it does indeed continue to get worse? Ah, wow, that was a soapbox. But the nice thing is that soapbox is what we're going to end our show on today. Um, I I can't tell you. I know. There you go. Uh, the I nice can't thing is you. it's over. <laughs> yeah, and soapbox, I'll step down. Uh, once again, guys, thank you so very much for listening. We hope you get something out of it. Um, I think this was a very 
information packed show. I have to give credit where credit is due. You know, I spend a lot of time talking on this show, but Philip is the one who does all of the digging and finds all of the the data and all of the the guts of the show. So he has really worked incredibly hard to make this show great this week, I think. And um, it gave us an opportunity to talk about things that we feel are really important. So on behalf of Philip Hernandez from uh, Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network and myself, Scott Swenson from Scott Swenson Creative Development, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. That's all for this episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. We'll see you back here tomorrow for a breakdown of news from around the haunted attraction industry. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.